Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. I'm Vinny Caizzi. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So Vinny usually updates us on what's going on across the labor movement at the end of every episode. But right now, there's so much going on out there that we need to maybe take a little extra time to talk about it. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about what's going on in the labor movement across the country. But first, let's take a dive into our contract. So on the last show, we discussed how to calculate your vacation pay. We had a request from uh, one of our listeners asking us to go through it. Today, we're going to continue to follow up by recapping our personal leave language, and that's covered by Section 7.35 of the contract. So Section 7.35 defines how much personal leave you're entitled to, and it's based on your service time, and it also defines uh, how we calculate pay for those hours. Uh, So how much pay are you entitled to? Well, if you're a new employee, unfortunately, you don't get personal leave immediately. The way that you determine your personal leave is basically you determine your service time on December 31st of any given year. So on that date, if you've been continuously and actively in the employee of the company for at least six months, you'd be eligible for three days of leave. If you had been continuously and actively employed for one year on December 31st, you would rate for five days of personal leave. And that's for the following year. Uh, Personal leave is actually a lot easier to calculate versus your vacation pay. So you're paid eight hours at the employee's regular base rate of pay plus cost of living allowance when applicable. Your personal pay would not include any premiums like your shift differential or any bonuses or overtime payments. And personal pay can be paid out just like vacation as a lump sum or pay as you go. You have to elect which you prefer or it will default to the lump sum payment option. Employees who elect pay as you go are required to take their personal time in order to receive pay. So that means you can't select pay as you go and then ask to cash out any time. You'd have to use the time in order to get it. If you elect pay as you go and you don't use all your personal pay, it would be paid out uh, at some point in December. And to be eligible for the payout, you have to still be employed as of December 31st of the personal leave year. Um, Our contract states that there shall be no prorated payment to terminating or laid off employees. However, if you're laid off, you would be eligible to receive um, any unused personal leave. Personal leave could be taken in one hour increments. Um, Any such absences are excused from the attendance policy and charge zero points. However, it would disqualify you from perfect attendance. Um, The new year is definitely going to be here before we know it. So just a reminder that your elections for personal pay have to be made no later than December 31st. Vacation pay, you get a little bit more time. Your deadline for that would be January 31st. And on the next episode, we're going to talk about the circumstances where you actually could use personal leave without resetting your perfect attendance. So make sure you follow along and uh, we'll get you that info next time. Awesome. Good stuff. Um, Thanks, Jason. Appreciate that. So um, let's jump into it. Let's start uh, seeing what's going on out there. Um, You know, we talk so much on this podcast about what's going on in the labor movement. And if you listen at all, you know that we're a little obsessed with Starbucks, right? Um, And um, the organizing that's been going on there. But as unionists, we think it's really important to be aware of this kind of activity because we need to support it whenever we can, right? Yes. Unionism isn't a private matter. The, the very nature of unionism is for us to band together and create strength in numbers. So we need to be aware of union activity. We need to bear, be aware of anti-union activity so that we can take action either in support of it or against it when we see it. 
It, it doesn't matter if our efforts are large scale or just as individuals like Jason going into Starbucks all the time and encouraging those folks to you know support union drives. The, the more we know and the more we take action to support our brothers and sisters across the country, the better the movement becomes. So we're going to let Vinny kind of lead this conversation because, you know, this is his thing. He He's always the guy that's looking at the activity going on out there across the country. So tell us, Vinny, what's going on out there? You're going to regret this. <laughs> okay. So 25 years ago, 185,000 Teamsters went on strike at UPS across the country. This was a, a very big and successful strike for yep. uh, UPS, and it was really a game changer for those workers. Yeah, it was. And uh, here we come again. We're coming up on uh, negotiations for UPS. Yep. But the former leadership of the Teamsters kind of kowtowed to the to the company, and uh, that is a sticking point for a lot of yeah, Teamsters at UPS. So this was a big a big part of Sean O'Brien's campaign. Right. That yes. He was he was thrown off the bargaining committee for UPS, the national committee um, by Hoffa. And there there was some tension there. And, and that's kind of what prompted Sean O'Brien to run against Hoffa. So this is at the core of, of absolutely, you know, what's going on nationally in the Teamsters. Right. So th- the fact that workers are really unhappy with the contract that Hoffa negotiated for them is an understatement, I think. And this is at the core of, I think, the labor movement today. For sure. I mean, with everyone getting sick of um, being treated like crap, basically. Yep. Yep. And and it coming to a head, you know, on the tail, you know, through the pandemic and people just saying, yeah, uh, enough. Yep, enough is enough. We stuck our necks out, right? And yes. and worked through a pandemic, and now yes, we're not we even did. getting we're, we're not even getting treated right when it comes contract time. So currently, the Teamsters represent three hundred and fifty thousand workers at UPS. So uh, almost almost double of what they had last time. Yep. And national master contract uh, is the largest collective bargaining agreement in the United States. Yeah, and I actually read somewhere and i don't know if this is true i read somewhere yesterday that that's actually the largest collective bargaining agreement in the world i believe it that's pretty crazy that's pretty crazy even though these are great union jobs which you know we know a lot ups they they pay well there's still a lot to be unhappy about yep during a rally in august that kicked off the contract campaign general president sean o'brien spoke directly to the company we are sending a message to the to to UPS that the days of concessions and walking all over our members are over. UPS would not have its billion dollar profits without hardworking Teamster members. Our message to UPS is that it's time our contract reflects the essential work of our members. Yeah, and Sean has made a bunch of comments that are directed at UPS. One of the things that struck me when I was researching for this episode. Uh, I, I saw that he made a pretty clear statement to UPS that there's no interest on the union's part to extend the contract, right? Okay. So this has been pretty common in the past in, in the UPS negotiations because it's such a big contract and negotiations are so far-reaching and so yeah. difficult. Um, there have been times, and, and Hoffa did it, they extended the contract beyond the expiration yeah. date in order to continue negotiating. Yeah. Sean has told UPS in no uncertain terms this contract expires on July 31st. If we don't have an assi- if we don't have a signed agreement on August 1st, we're going to be walking the streets. 
What you're seeing with a lot of companies across the country right now is that they're waiting for you to authorize a strike before they give you what's truly like a, a better offer. Yep. So it's preventing them from playing this game of, I guess, suicide. Yeah. Or, or I don't know, right. You know, chicken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> chicken. chicken. Right. <laughs> we used to call it suicide, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, Vinny, what are the main issues in going into this negotiations? I know it's a long way off, right? So, but but the union has really jumped off like a year early and has kind of named their issues already. So, so what's the issues? Excessive overtime. Not unusual for drivers to work 12, uh, 12 to 15 hour shifts in the summertime. Yep. Back in June, a driver died due to a heat-related injuries. Now, yeah. I, I know for some members that that's a, that's a big deal. Their trucks don't have AC. I mean, it's a yep. brown truck. In, in the summertime, the, yep. the sun beats on it. It gets to upwards of 130 degrees Fahrenheit. And you even had a couple members bake cookies in the back of their truck, yeah. which is ridiculous to uh, me. One of the business agents somewhere working at UPS – uh, called the trucks. Uh, what did he call them? He he called them um, mobile crockpots or something like okay. that. <laughs> Rolling crockpots yeah. or something. They're so hot you can cook in them. The other thing people don't think about is depending on how much they pack the back of these trucks. Yep. You know, if they just put some boxes in, leave a nice aisle way for them to get through and work yep. through, and everything's organized, then these guys can spend you know minimal amount of time in the truck. But that's sure. not what happens. No. These trucks yeah. are. Packed to the gills, yep. and they're fighting in the back of a 140-degree truck right. trying to find the box they need. And they're not even, you know— And it's just to make the money a little extra profit oh, off, yeah. Each, yeah. off it, each driver's back. It's all about getting those deliveries done, right? And and from what I understand, they do training where—and and I don't know if this is at UPS or at DHL because I've been reading a lot about DHL as well. But they do training with the drivers, and they actually teach them— how to spend 19 seconds or less inside the back of the truck. They're not addressing air conditioning the trucks. No, of course not. They're trying to teach the drivers how to spend less time in the back of the truck picking the packages so that they don't get overheated. Well, and so they can deliver more packages. Yeah. That's what it is. It has nothing to do with you staying cool. It's about hurry, hurry, hurry. you got a break walking to the door. It seems to me that it's it's about maximizing the profit and not taking care of their greatest asset, which is their, their workers. Yeah, you know, because they don't see it that yeah. way. And you see these long shifts across industries, too, and it's to save money on additional hires. Yeah. Yeah. And look, UPS, I mean, few companies saw increased profits during the pandemic more than UPS. Yeah. Over the past two years, UPS saw their profit balloon to $11.2 billion. Yeah. That's on the backs of all the Teamsters who deliver their packages. Right. All the guys in those in those rolling brown crockpots. <laughs> yeah. Right? Some of the other issues are that two-tier wages, subcontracting or use of personal vehicle uh, to drive. Yeah. Dri- driving facing cameras, harassment. They want higher pay for part timers and more full time jobs. Yeah. So and the two tier, right? I don't so know let's yeah, yeah two tier was yeah. mentioned. So let's talk about a couple of those things. Um, the use of PVDs, the personal vehicle drivers. You know that's that's a big Amazon thing. That's right? what I say. Amazon loves yep. to do that. But UPS, what people don't realize is UPS is doing the same thing. UPS is using personal vehicle drivers. There's just some contract language that limits their use. Now, do right? they give the dri- do they give the drivers of their own personal vehicles stipend? 
to take care of their vehicle? Or I don't no? know. Okay. I don't probably know, not. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Um, and and the other thing is the the driver facing cameras. Right. This is I know one of Sean O'Brien's big issues. Yeah. He wants those cameras gone. Yeah. Um, and I won't pretend to know what Sean's reasons are. Yeah. But I know that the company thinks well. Let, let me rephrase that. The company states that the purpose of those cameras is to observe the drivers so that they can train them and give them ways to be safer. Like if they see a driver uh, not wearing their seatbelt, they'll counsel them and say, hey, you know, it's safer to wear your seatbelt. But yeah, then they'll sure. say, please go quicker, please go quicker. Yes. Yeah. The way people do that at other non-union places is by not wearing a seatbelt. That's right. You can by get not in and out of the truck their, easier. You know, they don't pull their truck over. They leave right. it running in yeah. the middle of the road. Yep. Do, so, they, do they have something in their contract where they can't use surveillance for discipline, or we don't know that? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. But you can, I mean, you can bet that that's the purpose of those yeah. cameras, right, is to identify drivers who aren't doing the right thing. And then it's left to the union to try and argue that you're not disciplining everybody equally. Because yeah. you know that the pro-union guys, some of the guys we've had on yep. this show, yep. you know, shout out to Gal. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Val and Gary. Yeah, right. But, I mean, those are the – Gary, you know, how much did Gary stress doing the job right? Absolutely. Following the rules. Absolutely. And how it sometimes drives them nuts because it drives up the time it takes to do the job. Yeah. Yep. And it's just it, – it's really hard for me to believe that a company like UPS would be willing to spend whatever it takes to put those cameras in the trucks. It's It's got to be millions upon millions of dollars yeah. to put those cameras in the trucks. Just so that they can give drivers ideas on how to be safer. But won't yeah. install air conditioning in right. the trucks. Right, exactly. <laughs> they won't install air conditioning. And what do you do to people's, one, their morale, but two, their ability to keep going when you give them the things they need, like air conditioning, yeah. right? Yep. Or, or you give them Gatorade or whatever they need for yep. the day. Yep. So Sean is being pretty clear, I think, to UPS and to his members who work at UPS that, listen, it's time to save your money because we're heading down the road uh, for going on strike, right? I mean, he's pretty much said that, that right now, as he sees it, we're headed for a strike at UPS, a national strike. I think it's uh, it's definitely worth noting that the CEO, Carol Tomey, makes 600 times the average worker. 600? 600. Wow. Well, she probably works 600 <laughs> times harder. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure she doesn't. There's no doubt that she does. Now think about when <laughs> when she wastes ten minutes of time. Right? Yeah, well, how right? much is that? Right. She what? could have air conditioned all the trucks. Yeah, yes. <laughs> thanks. She could Carol. have signed a check that air conditions all the trucks. Yep, that's so funny. Six hundred times. What is her salary? Do we know? Um, oh, we could get it. It doesn't matter. She makes six hundred times the average UPS worker. And folks, UPS workers are teamsters. Yeah. So they're making they pretty well. good money. Yeah, yeah, that's a good right? union wage. Yeah, yeah. that's a good union they're wage. They're earning a good union wage, so she makes a lot of money. So, again, Sean has made it clear we're going to get a contract by July 31st or we're going to be hitting the pavement. I think that was uh, exactly what he said. What a glorious strike that would be. Yeah, it, it, it would will be. be. massive, right? 350,000 people going on strike and it, scabs driving trucks. So let me ask you a question, guys. If they're on strike... You're a teamster. Are you accepting deliveries at your front no. door from no. a scab driver? Hell no. no. Me neither. No way. Me neither. I'm going to sit on my front porch and wait for the guy to show up and tell him to go away. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <That's> yeah. <laughs> 
I'm pretty sure my four-year-old will tell him, get off this property, you scab. <laughs> so here's what, bo- here's what bothers me. We're talking about Carol Tomey, the CEO of UPS. Sean is, is clearly, there's rhetoric coming from Sean, coming from the Teamsters saying, hey, we're headed down the road of a strike. We're, we're not going to play games. We're going to walk the streets in August if that's what we need to do. Um, and Carol Tomey decided to respond publicly. And her response was, quote, UPS is building contingency plans and we're going to take care of our customers. Just not our employees, right? Yeah, instead of responding to Sean O'Brien and saying, hey, we are 10 months out from negotiating this contract and we have every intention of taking care of our employees. Instead of that being her response, she says, yeah, we're getting ready for a strike and we're going to take care of our customers with scab drivers. I'd like to know how they're going to replace 350,000. They're not. They're not. not. You know who's going to win is FedEx when they pick up a bunch of work. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? To say that, that, you know, we're going to take care of our customers. Who took care of the customers during the entire pandemic? Exactly. It's it's these people that were working 12 to 15 hours a day with massive added amounts of packages. I can't even imagine the logistics behind that and the the pressure. But they don't see it that way. No. Right. They see it. A a person like Carol Tomey sees it as I took care of my customers. Yeah, She took care of herself. Right. And the rest of her board. Yeah. Yeah, Of course. Right. And that's why they're so obsessed. These CEOs with maximizing stock prices is because they tie their compensation to it. I don't know about her case. This is corporate America's MO. Yep. All right, so we're going to be keeping an eye on that. This is we're way out, right? I I don't know how far in advance of the expiration of the contract they start to negotiate. I'm sure it's pretty far out. You know, it's not the two or three months that we do. Uh, I'm sure it's much further out. But that contract, the national agreement, expires on July 31st, 2023. That's a long way out, but we're going to be keeping our eye on these negotiations. We're going to report back to our listeners about what's going on during those negotiations. So stay tuned. Keep on listening. What else is going on out there, Vinny? So we uh, narrowly avoided the strike on the railroad. So on September 15th, after a nearly 24-hour bargaining session between rail companies and union leaders, just the day before a nationwide strike in the railroad industry was set, uh, set to happen, a tentative agreement was reached. Yep. And, you know, I know that the president got involved in this. Yep. He made, from what I understand, he made dozens of phone calls on on the day before the contract was set to expire or the, you know, whatever it was, the, the strike was set to happen. Uh, I know he made a ton of phone calls, and the Teamsters were involved in those negotiations. The the BLET was involved. So it says it took over 20 hours of talks brokered by Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. Yeah, which we'll add is a good friend of our president Sean O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. they are good friends. I'm sure Sean was in the room. Um, or had somebody pretty close to him in the room. Yeah, so the workers agreed not to strike while votes are tallied over the next several weeks, avoiding a stoppage that could have started as early as this Friday. Yeah. And so people don't realize the impact. Like this huge impact, right? Yeah. So there's a so, reason the government is involved. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So so let's talk about that. Thirty percent of America's freight is moved by rail, right? And and we're talking about a time right now where supply chains are already broken, right? So yes, that's a exactly. problem already. And to add to that that the trains are gonna stop moving 
pretty devastating. And People in, movers, too. And inflation. When you factor yeah. not just logistics, but inflation already has costs so high yeah. that when you then add in this additional cost, it would truly... <laughs> really hurt people yeah there there was a there was a lot of incentive to avoid this strike 12 over 12 million commuters per day ride trains to work and that was going to shut down i know that right the day before the the settlement was agreed to amtrak announced that they were shutting down pretty much their entire national service because of the strike so um, it could have been really bad. Hazardous materials that are transported by rail, you know, chemicals that are used in water treatment plants is one thing that I read about. Those are all moved by rail. Can you imagine shutting down our water treatment plants? I mean, what's going on in, in Mississippi right now? It would could be a national problem. Yes. Right? Public so, health problem. So, Vinny, what were... What were the main issues so of, of one, contention? One of the biggest main issues is over sick time policies. Yeah. Employers said that the workers get plenty of time off, but the workers are saying otherwise. Yeah. So one thing that I read about this was that the workers actually don't even work on schedules. They're not even scheduled, you know, like we are. You know, I work yep. Monday through Friday from yep. this hour to this hour. These people are working whenever they're called into work. Right. On That's call. their schedule. They're on call all the time. 24-7. Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. It is crazy. To the imagine. point that they can't even get proper medical care in some exactly. cases. Exactly. I that, think that's what That the, was a major sticking point. It was. It was. You know, being able to take time off to go to the doctor. It's crazy when people aren't, you know, so upset about wages and the focus is, hey, I need the time just to take care of my body. Yep. yep. Exactly. And, and listen, these folks make pretty good money, right? But they are getting 24% pay raises in this contract. Awesome. And keep in mind what they're doing. These are skilled people yes. that are performing a critical task for our national security and our economy. Yep. I mean, let's face it. This is not an industry where you can just hire scabs and have them, you know, I can't drive a train. Exactly. I don't know if you can, but I I can't. I don't think I can. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they they got their, well, what else? What else was in contention? Well, the the agreement is retroactive to 2020 and includes a five thousand dollar bonus and what you also what you mentioned the the twenty four percent pay raise. Yep. Yep. More time paid time off each year. Yeah, yeah so they actually got an extra holiday. I think there's an immediate pay raise of fourteen point one percent. Which wow. anytime there's a big pay raise, we always remind people you have to factor in how much were people underpaid. Yeah, exactly. That they were able to achieve that. That's so, not just us. You know as workers fleecing companies that's them making up many years of beating up workers and not giving what's deserved i think i I think the reason for that is if you look at this Vinny just mentioned it it's retroactive to 2020 which tells me that the original contract expired two years ago yeah Yeah, so they had been working on they were working right they were working on an extended contract they were working with no contract i believe for three years and they've gone three years without a raise yeah so that's what that is that's making up for the raise that they didn't get three years ago and two years ago and a year ago so um you know it's pretty well deserved actually and and kudos to the unions for allowing these companies to extend that contract for for three years to get no raises for three years and not shut down the the country for three years so 12 unions represent this workforce only two of the 12 which represents less than 10 percent of the workforce are known to have ratified new contracts with the freight railways yeah 
So I want to say, and there's no evidence other than me paying attention to what Sean O'Brien's been saying since he took office, I have to believe that the Teamsters had a lot to do with this. Yeah. Because they represent, I think the Teamsters represent 60,000 of these workers that are represented here. Wow. Yeah, yeah 60,000. Yeah, the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen yeah, um, is, is a division of the Teamsters. And you have to believe that Sean had a lot to do with this, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, his, yeah. his whole philosophy of we're not going to take this anymore and we're going to go on strike if we need to go on strike against small companies and big companies. Uh, you have to think that he kind of drew a line in the sand and said, enough is enough. I'm not, I'm not letting my guys work under a three-year-old sure. expired contract yeah. anymore. So that's good stuff. Um, I think that the changes to the attendance policies that are in this new deal uh, that the workers were looking for, these changes, you know, they make it easier to take time off for doctor appointments, makes allowances for absences due to surgeries and hospitalizations. This is stuff that, that these folks struggled with yeah. over the years because Again, they're not on a schedule. You can't schedule a surgery for, you know, when you're not scheduled to work. Yeah. Because you're never not scheduled to work. And think about the quality of your time off when you know that at any minute the phone could ring and you're required to run into work. Yep. That's crazy. That, it that's is crazy. crazy. How and far can you go from your job? Right. Right. You have to stay within a reasonable distance so that you can run in if you're called in. Yep. That's a foreign concept to me, but it's how they live. And quite frankly, I think they should be compensated for that, right? Their wages should be high, not only because they're skilled workers, but because of that. So listen, the railroad companies clearly caved on this one. They tried to take a stand and they caved on it. And I think it's a perfect example of the power of of strong union representation um, and and a a strong union that's that's committed to that process, right? Committed to the collective bargaining process. One of the people on strike, just I want to share this, wrote about 50 percent of railroaders are on call 24-7 unless they're on personal time or already at work. We don't have a schedule. There isn't one. We are on call. After 16 years, I get three weeks vacation and nine personal days a year. That's it. About 30 days. And the railroad wants that to be scheduled time off. Wow. How do you schedule a funeral in October if it's only February? Schedule a wedding that hasn't been announced yet. Schedule to take your spouse to the doctor. Most people get two days a week off with 52 weeks a year. That's 104 days plus two weeks of, you know, vacation time. So that's about 118 days off for the year. This guy gets 30 days a year. Um, That's insane. He he writes, the railroad is trying its best to make us look like the bad guys here, but we're not. We just want to see our family and live a little. And this is a railroad. You know, one of them is BNSF, I think is the name. It's owned by Warren Buffett. Yep. There isn't a money super rich. (laughs) That's pretty powerful, those words right there. Because Uh, I agree. You know, I'm always in support of the unions, but that tells you a lot, right? These are not the bad guys. Yeah. I mean, people like Warren Buffett, if he owns this company, should step in. I mean, this is is pocket change to him. Yeah. You know, and, and the way that unions are looking at it is that you have people like Warren Buffett and his rich friends here who own these railroads, which really are a small number of yep. companies. And sure. they're holding the supply chain hostage, trying to fleece these workers. Pre- yep. Exactly. So yep. don't get mad at the worker. Get mad at these companies who are you know, trying to hold hostage the whole country's needs over yep. paying people fairly. Yeah. Yep. Over three years. Allowing yep. dignity in a, you know, in a workforce. Exactly. Amen. 
What else, Vinny? Teamsters create Amazon division. So on yep. September 13th, the Teamsters officially launched the Amazon division. Randy Corrigan, principal officer of local 1932 in San Bernardino, California, has been named the director of this new division. Cool. Yeah, um, I read Sean O'Brien's statement when they announced this. And listen, everybody saw this coming, right? This was yep, this absolutely. was inevitable. This is not a surprise. It's just an announcement of something that we knew was coming. But you know, obviously, Sean takes the um, the opportunity to make a public statement, um, and in his an- announcement. Uh, He said, for 120 years, the Teamsters have proudly and ferociously protected transportation, logistics, and delivery workers, and we refuse to allow Amazon to continue to abuse and disrespect the more than 1 million Americans it employs. The Teamsters are best positioned to coordinate and secure guaranteed protections for these workers, and Amazon knows it. Our new division affords a nationwide network of resources to all Amazon workers behind the wheel of any truck or hard at work in any facility to strategize with the union, mobilize in their communities, and succeed together. Awesome. That's pretty awesome. I got goosebumps reading that. Right. I mean, he's talking directly to Amazon workers saying we're doing we're doing this for you, not for us. We're doing this for you. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty powerful stuff. I think Amazon employs one third of all warehouse workers in America, but is responsible for half of the workplace injuries in that sector. That's crazy. That's a bad record. (laughs) That's a terrible record. (laughs) Yeah, their workers sustain serious injuries at five times the national rate. (laughs) That is insane. Serious injuries. So So I wonder what that... This is not like I cut my finger on a box. I don't think that's what it means. I think it means I fell off the scaffolding and broke my arm. Yes. Yeah, their injury rate at Amazon facilities are nearly 80% higher than all other employers in the warehousing industry. (laughs) Wow. And that's actually, a, I think, a goal for Sean O'Brien that he stated during his campaign was yeah, to he did. drastically improve that. Yeah, he absolutely did. So, you know, this is Sean and his entire leadership team just, you know, they're following through on a campaign promise that you know, this is what we're doing. And in fairness to these companies, it's probably true. There's times where unionized workforces do cost you profits. It's when you're going to risk employees' life and limb to create more profits for your shareholders. Yep. And, and listen, we've talked about it on this podcast before, that unionized companies are more productive than non-union companies. There have been way too many studies to debate that, right? It's true. So, you know, companies like Amazon, I don't think it's about productivity. I don't think it's about Con- money. Control. I think it's just about control, right? Yep. It's about we don't want our workers really to have a say. Yeah. In what's going on? I mean, if they uh, unionize at Amazon, they'll have to stop firing people via computer algorithm. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. But the computer can't yeah. fire yes. our workers. Someone's yeah. got to show up to the grievance procedure. Well, yep. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's funny though because we've talked about how they focus on churn and turning over employees, and one of their concerns is turning over so many employees that there isn't a supply of workers great enough. You have to fire them all. They're already concerned with that. Right. Yeah. And you would think with that big challenge, you'd be doing more to prevent people from leaving, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. I just think it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, and, and they're, you know. It's going to have to be by force. Yeah, they're <laughs> used to they're used to doing things their way. Yep. 
So listen, stay tuned for that. We won't spend a ton of time on that. It's just now it's official. So the effort to organize Amazon from the Teamsters is official starting a couple of weeks ago. So um, what else is out there, Benny? So Trader Joe's is joining the anti-union ranks. Yeah. After workers won organizing votes in Hadley, Massachusetts, and Minneapolis, Minnesota, the company is engaging in illegal activities to prevent more stores from unionizing. According to unfair labor practice charges, the the workers have filed. Yeah. So um, I think it happened in Boulder, Colorado, right? Yep. Um, workers there filed a petition with the NLRB to hold a union election yep. in July to join the United Food and Commercial Workers, Local 7. Yep. Um, that very same month. Trader Joe's announced company-wide increases to compensation and benefits, including an increase to discounts for employees from 10 to 20%. Yeah. Hey, that's great. Um, you can get terrible generic <laughs> snacks for less money. Um, a $10 an hour premium pay for Sundays, not double time, right? $10 an hour premium pay, um, which might be double time at Trader Joe's. I'm not sure. Um, an increase to paid time off and market rate pay adjustments, whatever that means, over complaints about pay disparities between longer term employees and new hires. So they implemented these new benefits and pay increases right when workers started to unionize. Yes. What bothers me about Trader Joe's? is that they market themselves as a progressive company. Yeah. But when their workers start organizing, yep. everything changes. And that's so true because – and I think that's going to be a problem for them. Oh, I think so, Reputationally. Too. Absolutely. Because I think the vast majority of their customers are liberal-minded folks sure. who believe in unions, right? Uh, and I think that's going to hurt them. I yeah, really absolutely. do. I think people are going to not go there. Um, there's a lot here, right? To kind of dovetail with what you just said, Vinny, Trader Joe's hired Littler Mendelssohn, and they are a notorious anti-union law firm. They're one of those union avoidance firms, right? So this is the same firm that Starbucks hired. And so Trader Joe's is just falling in line with the rest of the corporate giants. Yep, exactly. Right? And they're doing exactly what we would expect them to do. But their customers are going to be really, um, they're going to be bothered by that. It seems like Trader Joe's is being a little bit more subtle with it. So rather than only give the additional benefits to non-union workers like across, Starbucks, yeah, they did yeah. it for everybody. Yep, yep. yep. Um, but they're also doing a lot of anti-union retaliatory things like changing the shifts of union supporting workers, yep. making anti-union buttons, leaving them in the workers' break areas. <laughs> That's awesome. That's, and not awesome. I don't mean that in the truest sense of the word. That's yeah. just it's, – it's ridiculous. Um, so the union came right out and said that these new benefits and pay hikes and all that stuff are absolutely meant yeah. to discourage unionization, yeah. right? They're, exactly. They're meant to t say, you know, so workers will say, oh, hey, the company's not so bad. Uh, you know, I'm going to vote no for the union. What I want to say is the workers say, you know what, we'll take those benefits and we're going to vote for this union even harder. Yeah. Well, like all you know, like all grocery stores during the pandemic, these people were viewed as very critical, essential yes. employees. Oh, yeah. And at the time, uh, Trader Joe's was giving them a two dollar per hour raise. 
And yep. they ended up cutting that $2 per hour raise when they deemed yep. the pandemic was over. Right. And then they went and cut retirement benefits as well. So it's like, why don't you just go and cut benefits later to pay for what you just gave out as yeah. an additional $2? And listen, they can do that anytime they want, right? There's no union contract here. So these benefits that they just instituted, right, that they just implemented, they can take them away anytime they want. Yep. So there's a worker at the Boulder, Colorado store. Her name is Aspen McKenzie. I think she said it best. She said, and this is a quote, it's a shallow attempt to discourage people from unionizing by trying to make them feel like their employer is actually taking care of them. But none of this is secured and they can take it away whenever they want. If they really care that much about us, they'd be paying us a lot more rather than paying a bunch of union busting lawyers to feed lines to our management team. Exactly. That's awesome. That is awesome. I've heard statements from other employees, too, that just basically say that in the past, this was a pro-worker company. Yeah, and it seems sure. like those values eroded drastically yep. over time. Because they got big, and yep. they got rich, and they got greedy. Yep. And that's what that's what they all do. It's just, you know, anyone out there that thinks that their employer is treating them right because they care about them, I, I just, I have a hard time believing it. I agree. Yeah. I think there are very few companies out there that treat their workers the right way because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, and that takes us to our next woke brand, which is Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on a year later, Vinny, okay. at Starbucks? So they start, you know, Starbucks started expanding benefits just like Trader Joe's as a way to thwart the union drive. The only difference is they're only extending it to the the stores who aren't unionizing currently, right. which is illegal. Right. Yeah, it's illegal, but they're trying to paint it as oh they can't oh we can't do we that. can't do it right yeah. we can't implement these new benefits at unionized stores because we need the approval of the union, which is a lie, right? It's a diversionary tactic because yeah. they don't need the approval of the union. And this is me saying this, and I'm kind of choking on my words, but the bottom line is they don't have a contract with the union yet. Yeah. Well, and I'm pretty sure the union came out and was like, sure, go ahead. Yeah. Give, give all the benefits. Thank give you. Give it to us. Yeah. And they said, no, 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 we can't without your permission. We're giving you our permission. Yeah, but we can't without your permission. My numbers are a little bit old, but as of September 1st, 233 uh, Starbucks stores had voted to unionize since yep. late last year. Awesome. Only three of those had made it to a bargaining table. Right. Three of them are bargaining. None have a contract. I was just going to say the NLRB actually just ruled against Starbucks saying it illegally withheld pay and benefits from workers at hundreds of unionizing stores. It then was telling Starbucks that they needed to pay back 100% of the denied benefits, and they wanted the CEO, Howard Schultz, who's since uh, left the company, yeah. to record a video admitting the illegal action. That's awesome. <laughs> He's good at recording videos, too. He does that yeah, all the time. Yeah, he is. Uh, so, like you said, Jason, three stores have gone into negotiations two in Buffalo, New York, and one in Mesa, Arizona. None have signed a collective bargaining agreement yet, um, and the union says that Starbucks is using all kinds of delay tactics um, to avoid negotiating. Um, actually, the union negotiating committee over in Buffalo, New York, said that the company has only met with them six times since January. Six yeah. times since January. We're, we're in September now. 
right? Six times since January they've met, and they have yet to engage on any of the union's proposals. So in other words, the union is coming to the table with very specific contract proposals, and the company's just taking them and saying, okay, thanks, we'll get back to you. And they they never get back to them. That's terrible. They don't engage in any conversation, nothing. They actually drew up a nice wanted poster for the CEO. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that was awesome. Um, So what are these benefits that Starbucks implemented? So Starbucks uh, offers a retirement planning, mental health resources, and for the last 10 years, their health care plan has covered general, uh, gender reassignment surgery for trans employees. Right. So, I mean, that's a pretty liberal it benefits is. package, sure. right? But now they're expanding that, right? And they're including some very specific employee savings plan sure. stuff, yep. right? That, um, you know, stuff that educates people on how to save their money and loan management stuff, right? Um, just making it a little bit easier for, for Starbucks employees to save their money for retirement, um, which is good stuff. But again, like you said, they're only available yep. to the non-union workers. Um, There's been a lot of allegations, I think, of cutting people's hours so they fall below the thresholds for different benefits, Yep, especially for pro-union. Yeah, they cut hours, but then when some of the workers ask for fewer hours, they refuse. They say, you're not available, now we're giving you a warning. Exactly. They discipline them for non-availability and don't let them reduce their hours and force them to quit because they're not available for those hours. It's just... And they did that to one of the union heads. Yeah. They did that to one of the union leaders in, I want to say, in Colorado. Not to mention the seven they fired in Memphis. Yep. They all got their jobs back. And they got their job back, yeah. Yeah. But it just, you know, it leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth. They're they're playing dirty pool, and it's um, it's not cool. So shame on Starbucks. Well, luckily, these employees got their jobs back thanks to a stronger NLRB than we've had in many years. Exactly. That's something that we have to keep trying to make advances in. Absolutely. Right. What else, Vinny? What's going on? We we have a strike with Local 251 in in Rhode Island at Pawtucket with uh, DHL. As we record, about 70 DHL workers are out on the the picket line uh, to strike against Northeast Transportation Services. So we were actually there. Yeah. Um, I say we. I think we had we, one uh, person. Yeah, and we right, had our right. truck. Yeah, we had our truck up there. Um, one of our one of our agents was up there and witnessed what happened on September 9th. They had yes, yeah, they had a, a pretty big rally. You know, unions from all over the area came and supported those workers. They had a rally, and um, and and the cops got a little out of hand. Uh, I'm sure the cops would tell a different story but they were trying to clear uh, an entrance to the facility and i guess some people weren't moving as fast as they would like and they it it, it turned violent pretty quick you know they they maced a lot of yeah, people they pepper sprayed they a lot pepper of people spray the crowd yep and then and and from what i understand and i think we have some video of it um possibly but the cops were just arbitrarily pepper spraying the entire crowd yeah they had double-fisted pepper spray cans, and they were holding them above their heads and just spraying the crowd with pepper spray. Mm. Um, and and nobody was doing anything other than probably moving a little slower than the cops wanted them to to clear that See, entrance. That drives me nuts. And, and they, you know, they they put one woman down on the ground, face down, knee on her neck, boot on her head, 
shoving her face into the ground. Why? Because she didn't move fast enough to clear the entrance to the facility. She wasn't getting violent. Yep. They did. So the cops, you know, the cops got pretty violent on this. Shame on them. I agree. I think there's more to come on that. I think possibly some charges will be fired, filed. I, I don't know that yep. to be true. I'm just saying that from from what I hear happened, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see charges filed sure. by some of the strikers there, some of the protesters there. But, you know, this is a it's a Teamsters local. These folks have been out for how long, Vinny? Uh, they went out on June 22nd. Yeah. June 22nd, they, they went out. Their issues are what? Wages. Um, Retirement benefits, affordable health care yep. and s- safety. Yeah. So they, they cited some safety stuff. But but here's the thing that bugs me. Right. And I'm sure you guys read the same thing when you did your research. The company obviously hired scab drivers, right? Yep. DHL drivers. They hired scab drivers. From what I understand, they're paying the scab drivers fifty five dollars an hour. The folks who are on strike Great are making savings. 18 bucks an hour. It's crazy. $18 an hour. So that means they can afford to pay more right there. They clearly can afford to pay more. Now, listen, let's be honest, right? The The actual cost of employing our folks is not $18 an sure, hour, right? Sure. There's medical insurance and all Absolutely. that stuff, right? But the company can't be paying too much for medical insurance because the workers there who are making $18 an hour have to pay $350 a week for medical insurance oh for a family. God, that's crazy. $350 a week for medical insurance for your family. I can just tell you that for us at Sikorsky Aircraft, the most expensive plan for us, for a family, is $135 a week. They're paying $350 a week, almost three times what we're paying. And our folks are making, you know, $30, $40, $50 an yeah, hour. Yeah, exactly. Not 18 well, they'll pay 55 bucks an hour for a scab driver, but they're also going to pay to fix their trucks when they can't open it on a bridge. Yep. Because that <laughs> yeah. seems yep. to happen on every driver strike. Yeah. Yep. It's just, you know, I'm kind of tired of these big companies doing this stuff. Yep. It's, it's disgusting the way they treat their workers. These drivers are being asked to drive 250 miles a day on top of the stops that they already make. So do the math on that, right? If you're driving a truck, 250 miles has to take you minimum, and this is if you're driving fast, minimum five hours. I mean, bare minimum. Because That's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, because you're not bare driving. Minimum. This isn't 60 miles an hour on a highway. Exactly. This is city driving yep. with so, multiple stops to park. Right. So they have to be, that, that just the on-the-road time has to be seven hours. It has to be. Probably more. Right. Some of these folks are driving from Pawtucket, Rhode Island to Provincetown in Massachusetts at the tip of Cape Cod. Yeah, that's crazy. So DHL's parent company, which employs almost ready, 600,000 employees. Wild. 600,000 employees worldwide. They reported twenty three billion dollars in revenue in just the first quarter of this year. Three months, they took in $23 billion. So I did a little bit of quick math. That's about $256 million a day. Yeah. How much would it cost to pay 100% of their health care? I would love to know. Per year, what would it cost? Right. Just out out of three months worth of revenues, one day would pay for probably 10 years worth of health care. Sure. So they won't won't give up a single day's profit for the employees that earn all of that profit. Nope. Again, 
disgusting. Um, they say they can't afford it. That's obviously wrong. And then they have the cops' strong arm strikers. You know. Yeah. And that's something that I think unions need to have a coordinated effort to fight back. Against, I agree. Right? Yeah. I mean, freedom of information requests. You could get the the body cam footage, and yep. it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, Absolutely, it really would be. And and you know, listen, I don't know if the Pawtucket, Rhode Island cops are union, but if they are, shame on you. It's not the union. It's not the police union. It's it's individual cops that are there on the front lines. Yeah, yes. And they're they're making their own choices. They're not treating people with respect. Um, and I, listen, I understand that sometimes, you know, when things get heated on a strike line, we're not uh, really respectful as well, right? Sure. I know that we do things that are not very respectful. Emotions are running high. I, but, I, I understand. You know, I, I don't want to conjure up the, the memories of George Floyd, but it's not right to put your boot on somebody's head and I put agree. your knee on somebody's neck because they didn't clear an entrance to a facility fast as you wanted to. Right. 100% agree. Now, people need to be reasonable all around. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So enough of that. What else is going on? Some, uh, minor league baseball, right, Vin? So we got some good news. Yeah. Recently, around 5,500 minor league baseball players signed union cards expressing their desire to be represented by the Major League Baseball Players Association. Yay. That's awesome. That is awesome because they were treated terribly. Yep. The union properly notified Major League Baseball and the National Labor Relations Board. And before a vote can be held, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred announced that the league would voluntarily recognize the union. That's awesome. So the Major League Baseball Players Association now represents the 5,500 minor league players, which increases their membership exponentially, right? I didn't realize it until I until I started researching this, their membership is going from 1,200 to almost 6,000. Wow. 7,000. Yeah, okay, almost 7,000 because I'm so good at math. That's amazing. And that is amazing. That's going to pose some difficulties, I think, for the Players Association. Um, let's be honest about that. I think that might be difficult to do right away, right? Because there's an effort that's required to represent the members, and all of a sudden they're more than quadrupling their membership size yep. overnight. Yeah, they've now got about 5,500 severely underpaid members when yeah. they're used to representing about 1,200, mostly millionaires. Exactly. Yeah. So the whole philosophy changes, right? I would think that it's probably going to, at the end of the day, it's going to look like two different unions. Yeah, you know, probably. I, I, I would imagine that they might do separate contracts for the minor league players and have two bargaining units sure. rather yeah. than one. Um, I would hope. Most likely. Yeah, I, because I just I just don't see how you do it. I don't yeah. see how you do it any other way. Um, but for me, I think it's awesome. You know, I'm a big baseball fan. And, you know, watching these guys, and, and I had a nephew who played baseball. And, yeah. And, you know, he was good enough to at least make a play for going pro. Cool. Um, yeah, he was really successful in college, and he didn't want to do it because of the way players are treated in the minor leagues. You know, just the really low pay, the fact that, you know, they mess with their hours, like they're not considered working unless they're playing in a game. Oh, jeez. Whereas right? you have to train all year 
You yeah. have to you have to train all the time, and you're riding buses to and from games yeah, for along. hours and hours and hours. These guys don't take airplanes like the big leaguers do. They get on buses for Damn. 10 12 hour bus rides to go to play a couple of games you know so and and all for the massive salary of between 4 and 700 dollars a week the average minor league baseball player earns $12,000 a year that is in the insane it's poverty wages <laughs> That's, well for, you think about like the massive contracts you hear about the superstar yeah. contracts yep. that are worth millions and millions of dollars and you think about the fact that these stadiums are built with a lot of cases taxpayer money yeah, they yep. are and these concession stands make millions of dollars yeah Tripling minor league salaries would cost each team around $4.3 million per year. They spend more on that than baseballs. So, yeah, that's absolutely true. So and that those numbers are amazing to me. $4.3 million. Like you said, Jason, they spend, they spend that on one player for half a season. Yeah. Right? So they can spend half a player's one season salary to triple minor league salaries in their organizations yeah, they should That's, at least pay them a, li- a living wage yeah and that would be a living wage right that would be well no, maybe thirty six thousand dollars a year i'm thinking more like yeah, 60 70 thousand yeah. a year but listen it's a start yeah, right absolutely and and these guys they're not paying for their meals and things like that the, the, well, the twelve thousand that, that sure. they make is you know i think they get room and board i think they get meals and things like that so so it, it's not as bad as it sounds, but it's still bad. Don't think that I'm saying, eh, it's okay. It's not okay. Um, they're still not making nearly enough money. To think that you're somebody that's basically the next great thing coming up. Sure. And you're paid that severely. Right. You know, badly. Yep. It, it's crazy. Well, you got to think of the people who don't make it because a small percentage make it. And you've sunk yeah. all those hours in training for not even minimum yeah. wage. Yeah. Sure. So, so this goes back a few years, and this is amazing to me because I don't know why minor league players weren't fighting to organize forever, right? But it actually only goes back to about 2016 Damn. Um, when there was a real push in the minor league ranks to unionize because Major League Baseball pushed for the passage of what's called the Save America's Pastime Act, which... You know, that sounds awesome. It's kind of like, you know, kind of like right to work. It's like right to work. Exactly. But the Save America's Pastime Act, which which really should be translated to save us some money. Yeah. Save the owners some money. It was, money a, it was a, a money grab. That's that's what it was. So, and, and what that law did, it was passed, I think, in 2018. It was introduced in 2016. It was passed in 2018. And it made it so that baseball was exempt from complying with wage and hours laws. That's crazy. Right? They didn't have to pay minimum wage. They didn't have to worry about how many hours you were or weren't working. Right, they it exempted them from all of that stuff. So they weren't getting over on the players enough. They had to go and memorialize it in the law. Yeah. Exactly. So, I think that was what broke, you know, the final straw that it, broke the camel's it, back. It was right, and the players. I mean, listen, players in the minor leagues have been complaining about conditions for years, but they weren't doing anything about it. They weren't looking to join a union, form yeah. a union, until, like you said, they stuck their eye, they, they stuck their finger in their eye by saying, "Hey, we're going to memorialize the screw." that we've been giving you for years in a law yeah well i don't i don't think that this happening in 2022 is a coincidence i think this is part of a bigger thing that's happening in this country in the labor movement people are sick of being crapped on 
and minor league baseball players finally hit the point where it's uh, that's it. It's an, it's enough. We're yep. going to unionize. Well, Absolutely. I kind of wonder too. Was did they do this because the writing was on the wall? Because if you have a majority of minor league players who want to unionize, yep. and you then organize them into Major League Baseball's players' union, what happens if they then vote on a strike? They all go out. That's a really interesting thing that I hadn't thought of. Right? Yeah. Do, do the do the major leaguers support that strike? They would have to. You would think they would have to. What it does do, and I don't, I, I'd be shocked if Major League Baseball hadn't thought of this yet. But what it definitely does is it prevents them from using minor leaguers as scab players if the major leaguers go on strike. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, it'd be good. Right, too. because that was a problem all yeah. along. Minor leaguers would go and allow them to continue playing baseball. You know, the fans don't really show up to watch minor league baseball in a major league park, but still, it was a problem in the past. Players would go and play out of the minor leagues. That's not going to happen anymore. They're not going to cross the picket line sure. and play in place of now their union brothers. Yeah, who knows if the impact would be that, you know, the major league would go out too. But if I could triple your salary in the minor league for $4.3 million per team, I would not risk a, a major league strike if the two are tied together. Right, exactly. So there is other stuff going on out there. Um, there's stuff in Minnesota with the nurses' strike. Um, I don't even know how to pronounce this. The Weyerhaeuser Timber Company is on strike. Um, work at, what is it, a Stellantis plant? Um, yeah, they make uh, different parts for... Uh for cars, for I, cars. I, think they're, I think they're owned by Chrysler. So it's a yeah, UAW. Chrysler. Yeah, UAW. We're also so, seeing organizing drives at Wells Fargo and uh, I think even Petco. Yeah. Oh, so wow. we're going to kind of throw that at the end of our next episode and talk about some of those things because we're really, um, I think we're crunched for time at this point. So stay tuned, tune back in in a couple of weeks to, to hear about that stuff. But for now, let's talk about upcoming events, what's going on. On October 19th, we're going to have our membership meeting down at Union Hall. It'll be at 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock. As always, we're going to have a food truck by Micro. Uh, really good food, free to all the members. We have merchandise for sale, so make sure you come on down. I'm sure there's going to be contract updates. There's going to be you know food and No question about it. Yeah, contract talks are probably starting in October, so that's definitely going to be a topic of conversation, I would imagine. So let's pack our union hall and ask questions and hear what's going on with contract negotiations. No other activities going on right now. You know, we're kind of sliding into fall and, and into winter, so the activities kind of slow down at that point. But the next thing that we'll be able to report is the annual holiday parties that are going on around our facilities. So we'll report on that maybe next time if we have some dates. But as always, we end every episode with a quote from a labor or community leader uh, that's, you know, relevant to the labor movement. So what do we got this week? Baby? So who we have for this week is uh, Frederick Douglass. He was born into slavery in Maryland. He was an eminent human rights leader and an anti-slavery movement leader, the first uh, African-American citizen to hold a high U.S. government rank advising presidents and lecturing on causes like women's rights. His quotes are, I picked two that I think really apply to today's uh, podcast. Those who pro uh, profess to favor freedom and yet deprecate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. 
They want rain without thunder and lightning. That's awesome. Love that. That's a good one. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. That's one of my favorite labor quotes of all time. Love that. Power concedes nothing without a demand. That, you know, for us as unionists— that means we're going to have to go and fight for what we need, Absolutely. right? They're, they're not—and we say it all the time here. The, the company, they're not our friends, right? Exactly. They're not going to treat us right unless we go and demand that they treat us right. Exactly. It's just the way it is. Um, so good stuff, uh, good conversation today. I think, uh, I think we all learned something. I hope you all out there listening learned something. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for following us. If you're not following us, shame on you. Go to Podbean and follow us today. Remember to email us. Tell us what you love about the podcast. Tell us what you hate about the podcast. But tell us something, okay? We want feedback from our listeners. Let us know what you think about it, good or bad. You can email us at comms at teamsters1150.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at teamsters1150.org. And until next time, I'm Stephen French. I'm Benny Kaitsi. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. We'll see you next time.